Hello and welcome to Diversity in Research. My name is Lachlan Smith. And I'm Jakob Fedfus Christensen. Today we are talking to Randy Austin from Stream. He's the CEO of Streamline. And we invited him on after we had a demonstration of their software FunFed. And we were impressed with, with what it could do. But we also had some questions. And we were we were very happy they agreed to, to join us here for a talk about machine learning, the future of funding databases in research, what it can and can't do, and uh, some of the possibilities and challenges when it comes to um, EDI. So uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation with Randy, and then we'll be back right after with a quick follow-up. And so we are um, joined here by uh, Randy from uh, not so sunny as California, apparently, but from Canada, California, at least. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jacob. It's great to be here. Um, before we dive into today's topic, could you tell us uh, a little about who you are and your work? Sure. I'm Randy Osden, CEO of Streamline. We mm -hmm. are a research automation software company. Um, but my background is computer science major, a total geek. I used to be a software developer. I worked for large software companies for a long time. In fact, I was based in London, England for three years working for, a, for an American software company that had presence there. And in uh, 2003, I was crazy enough to say, I want to have my own startup. <laughs> so fast forward to today. We're going to celebrate our uh, 20th anniversary this June. And basically, we have become uh, quite a successful company, if I might say so, in research automation and research-related solutions. We have customers from coast to coast, um, all the way out to uh, Puerto Rico. And we are uh, very big on diversity and inclusion. So uh, thank you for inviting me. Cheers. You know, uh, of course, because, yeah, we, um, we of course, asked you on because we had an introduction to Streamline's uh, new search uh, tool for research funding. It's called uh, FundFit. And uh, we had a really good conversation with, uh, with your guys about, uh, about it. And uh, so we thought it would be a good, for, good idea for the podcast because it is... It's definitely the way things are moving uh, with uh, artificial intelligence uh, and etc. So could you tell us a bit about FunFit and why you think this supports uh, EDI work? Right. So the concept uh, goes back easily four or five years. But as you can imagine, we've had several pivots. Um, mm. In a nutshell, FunFit is designed to uh, score your researchers for a given funding opportunity so that um, you have a better chance of winning that particular uh, funding, uh, regardless of where it comes from. It could be from a federal agency, a corporation, foundation, and what have you. But it doesn't stop there. It actually enables internal teaming for mm -hmm. the best results and You could also do external teaming, collaborations, and we use machine learning, as you can imagine. And one of the benefits, one of the goals we have is to uh, provide better visibility uh, to uh, diversity and inclusion in the form of 
not just seniority bias, <laughs> but also racial and, you know, whatever form uh, <laughs> this particular challenge comes in, uh, we're trying to address it with the software. It, it sounds incredibly ambitious, exciting, you know, really exciting, but but really ambitious. And, you know, if, if this kind of um, approach to developing uh, research teams and, and be they, as you say, like internal, perhaps within an institution or, or looking more globally, if this can work, then I think, you know, it has the potential to really grow um, the the outlook, I guess, of researchers in terms of the collaborations that they might uh, might get involved in, which is a really good thing. One of the things we find in research is that people tend to go to their usual suspects, their own networks and and, and the like. And so if we can move away from that, that's, that's brilliant. Now, you've just touched on there, and we don't expect you to give away all your state secrets and all your company secrets in terms of how you do this, but how might you um, take into account um, some of these diversity characteristics that are out there and not just focus on things like bibliometrics, which still tend to fa favour sort of, you know, essentially white straight men in, in academia. So what, what sort of information are you perhaps asking from from people? Do people have to register onto the, the FunFit themselves and sort of talk a bit about themselves and their own characteristics? Um, and, and what might be the implications of that? How, can you sort of say a bit more about how that works, perhaps? Sure. Right now, the system is available to institutions at the institutional level. Mm -hmm. And usually yeah. the research development team is interested in this product for obvious reasons. But uh, let's start with age bias because it's a, it's a huge problem, yeah. right? Um, there have been all kinds of statistics published that indicate that in the U.S., Roughly half of funding, all funding, goes to 10% of the researchers out there. So there's tremendous bias. And you're absolutely correct in terms of the demographics. And what we're trying to do is the system looks at all kinds of signs when it comes to uh, past success. And along with that, unfortunately, the machine learning algorithms are also biased, right? But what we've done differently is that once you have a core team, we ask the institution if they would like to include some young and hungry researchers into the fold. Mm -hmm. um, so as the co-PI or the third or fourth person, depending on the size of the opportunity. So that's one way of doing this. And going forward, we're going to look at other sources of data, such as the preprint servers, because the young and hungry researchers don't necessarily have lots of publications out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The preprint servers have some signs when it comes to uh, potential that they might have. So that's, that's a couple of ways of uh, trying to address this uh, seniority bias. But when it comes to um, other types of bias, uh, race and and sexual orientation and, and, and so on, uh, it's, it's a huge challenge. You're absolutely correct. The good news is that a lot of the institutions in the U.S. now have a mandate, not necessarily a mandate, but uh, they have this intense desire to team up with uh, HBCUs, for example. So we, we happen to be a member of GWIR, which is... Uh, they admit it, it's not a good name, but <laughs> Government Diversity <laughs> Research Roundtable is what it stands for. It's a mouthful. 
But it's a, it's a division of the National Academies. It's a highly prestigious organization. It's by invitation only. We're a member. So at so many of the meetings, they talked about how big research institutions are ones, and in some cases, more than a billion dollars in research expenditure are interested in adding researchers from HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. So mm-hmm. that seems to be gaining a lot of momentum and we're going to facilitate that in FunFit. And the same goes for Hispanically oriented institutions. So that seems to be uh, happening out there and FunFit is, is going to help with that particular uh, collaboration. And but other than that, you are correct in that once a researcher is in the system, they have to uh, volunteer certain types of information because mm. a lot of this information is not out there, right? Mm. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, opt-in type of uh, engagement. And if we have the data, then we have a much better chance of in- including those individuals and uh, that includes women and minorities and and all the things that you mentioned earlier. So those are some of the things we're trying to do right now. Mm. So it sounds like this is a a real, it's a period of evolution in a sense. Would that be fair to say that you'll always be looking to add different dimensions to the software to help it get, I don't know, smarter, Mm. um, more more relevant to to funders, sorry, not to funders so much, but to researchers. Is that a fair sort of thing? It's an ongoing process. Absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you one example. Going forward, so right now, FunFit is available for institutions, but um, hopefully in two, three months, we're going to open it up to individual researchers mm-hmm. because many of okay. these researchers are constantly looking for funding, but unfortunately they work for small institutions that may not be able to afford a software product like FunFit. So we'll have a very low um, uh, fee threshold for the researchers. And, and again, they're, they're going to opt in and hopefully they'll go into their profile and add information. So the system going forward is, is going to look at a lot of different uh, data sources. I mentioned one of them, which is the preprint servers, but uh, also patents, for example, mm. and, and other types of data sources so that we can uh, we do triangulation when it comes to the machine learning algorithms and, and hopefully make the right recommendations and, and facilitate uh, EDI in the process. Yeah, and I definitely, because I, I remember when I saw the, saw the demonstration, I see the clear potential, particularly on, on the age, as you say, but, and, and, and certainly on identifying talent uh, both within your institutions but particularly in, in other institutions because you simply don't have that possibility and and learning about them before they become a name i think i i, I can definitely see there's something uh, very interesting uh, interesting there and also as you say the moment you can triangulate and move into patents and uh, pre-print server so that we move away from bibliometrics and can perhaps look at different types of, of impact and research impact beyond um, uh, uh, scientific publications and or perhaps move into societal impact, then you can certainly begin to develop some teams that it's very 
difficult uh, unless you have a, a very big network. Um, so I, I think that in, in that sense, I think it is it's incredibly interesting. But as we also touched upon, you say it's it's an opt-in uh, uh, solution when it comes to some of these other uh, personal characteristics. And then, of course, you have the whole question, like we have with Open Science, how much data do we want the algorithms to have about us? And and right. and the security levels, because it. It's easy right now when you can say you're in a system and a political system where you can, as a, a software provi- provider, say, well, we keep them secret, but we don't know what the next government is going to look like. And suddenly things are, are, are out there. That should be uh, personal. Right, right. It's a balancing act for sure. But uh, going forward, hopefully... We're going to have access to more and more information and research impact is definitely one aspect of the equation. You're, you are correct. A couple of years ago, I did a presentation on research impact for Incura, hmm. which is a very large uh, consortium here, as you know. And um, There are good tools out there done by Elsevier and Digital Science and others, and they are starting to leverage social media and other data sources and and some of this information is out there available so if we could tap into other aspects of research um, impact as as you Mm. put it that's one more data source for us so the more the merrier yeah and also it feeds into probably also and i don't know the uh, statistics on other countries, but I know that here in Denmark a few years back, there was a report that showed that most of research was actually done outside universities. And the moment you're outside a university, you will probably also be doing other things than just the uh, scientific publication. So there are all sides, sorts of workshops and reports and different uh, programs developed that is registered nowhere that where you have a, a lot of scientific uh, impact and people doing all the sorts of relevant uh, things. That's right. Yeah. So you have to take into consideration books and presentations at conf- conferences, for example, sometimes uh, they come out of nowhere, yeah. but they have hidden gems. Mm. So, um, you are correct. The good news is FunFit is extremely data hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so if we, could, yeah. if we could get to some of these other aspects of data, it'll be even hmm. better. Yeah, and, and in, in, in that th- sense, I think it's it would be, be, be really interesting. My concern is still about the about personal characteristics because some of these Algorithms quickly learn. I can really know an example we have used here a lot of times is is both is Netflix, but also Instagram. They have never asked me whether I'm gay, but when I look at what Netflix suggests me, they have clearly figured out that I'm gay, and and probably <laughs> and the same with Instagram. They have never asked me, but considering uh, that my feed is mainly made up of uh, pucks, uh, knitting, and uh, 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 well-trained men uh, uh, with no shirts on, they have figured me out as well. So, <laughs> and and that is of course a part of the part of the 
part of the challenge of these machine learning tools that they figure stuff out even if you don't tell them. <laughs> right, right. It's like good. It's good news and bad news, right? It is. In some ways, you want that particular software product to give you pretty much everything, mm -hmm. everything under the sun, without any kind of spin or orientation, if you will. Mm -hmm. But in other ways, you should be able to tell it, okay, give it pri give my content priority when it comes to these aspects yeah. that I'm interested in. Unfortunately, that's it's not out there right now. It's it's a very frustrating um, conclusion that you have. Mm. That is absolutely correct, and hopefully, going forward, things will get better. In in some ways, Europe is ahead of us when it comes to uh, you know data security and privacy. You have very severe penalties if the companies don't comply and. So um, hopefully it'll get better going forward, but you, you are right. It's, it's a dilemma right now. It is, but that is also a bit the, the perfect, uh, perfect segue to, to, to the other thing I, we, we discussed at the presentation is that, because this could be really, really great when it comes to internationalization uh, and you look for collaborators from parts of the world where you have no network, but where it's necessary, particularly when it comes to climate and other global crises that you can't solve in just one institution or, or even in one country. But for one, how do we ensure that the system doesn't become cluttered and impossible to navigate the, the moment you move beyond the US? And also, and what definition of excellence do we work with then? Because what is considered excellent might differ significantly from an from an Ivy League university to a rural university, let's say in in Nigeria and Bangladesh. But these might be relevant for, for relevant regions for a particular project. Uh, how how do we can we navigate that? It's an excellent question. So last year, Streamline attended the eArma conference hmm. in Oslo, Norway. It was an eye-opener for us. We didn't have a booth. We attended all the sessions, and we did speak with some of the vendors that had uh, presence mm -hmm. there. But uh, we're extremely encouraged in that we'll be able to partner, I think, with some European players and include European, African, and pretty much international data in, in fun mm -hmm. it. Because ultimately, we want to be able to say, Okay, would you like international players in the fold? It, it's it has to be configuration based because you know you could you could turn blue in the face telling institutions they should team up with international researchers, but at the end of the day, sometimes they just can't or won't. So uh, research is becoming research in general is becoming more and more global in nature, and I think we're going to see more collaborations going forward. However, there could be restrictions internally or the funder may be DOD and it's highly sensitive uh, national security uh, related research perhaps. So uh, some, some of this has to be configuration based and you could turn on or off certain uh, parameters in the system. But we were extremely encouraged in that going forward in phase two, uh, in the third quarter, possibly the fourth quarter of this year, uh, we want to include international research of data. And, and you are correct in that um, 
uh, our uh, guidelines here or, or, or signs of success or metrics are not necessarily the same in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And so the institutions have to look at different aspects and, and the system, again, we do machine learning and we look at certain types of information that's relevant and for, especially for collaborations. And that has to be there for the institution to say, I'm dying to, you know, team up with some people from wherever Mm -hmm. uh, in the world. And, and let me take a look at their background because my usual parameters don't work here. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it's going to have to be somewhat, institution specific, but we're encouraged. I mean, it's really amazing what some of the researchers uh, out there are, are doing in, in different mm-hmm. countries. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll be, but, it'll be yeah, interesting to see. Won't it? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, no, no, I was just going to say, like, we, we know from, from experience, like Jakob and I have been around research and research management for some time, and, and it sounds like you have as well, Randy, in that that sort of sphere. Like we know that in a lot of these relationships or collaborations, research collaborations between Global North and Global South partners, you know, they're quite um, they can be quite one sided in terms of where the power sits in those relationships. And I and I wonder if uh, this type of software has the potential to help shift the balance a bit. Um, in, in that relationship in a positive way to make it a little bit more equal. I mean, I'm, mm. I don't know if I've worked out in my head exactly how that would work, but it feels like that maybe maybe there's some potential there. I don't know to say quite what that looks like, but maybe there's some potential there. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I think once we have pretty much all the researchers in the world in the system, according to ORCID, there are 8.4 million active researchers uh, and, and that's the core group, by the way. It doesn't include some of the peripheral groups, but uh, that's a lot of researchers. So yeah. especially for individual researchers, institutional membership is a little bit different. I think if you have international members that are uh, pursuing a particular funding opportunity, it's uh, entirely possible that they may have the PI, the lead PI mm-hmm. from uh, Belgium or you know, from Kenya or what have you. And it is possible for them to say, I want to team up with someone in the US or in the UK. Yeah. So that's going to be possible. Mm-hmm. And But beyond that, right now, you're absolutely correct. Certain countries and China happens to be number one when it comes to the government investing in research. They totally sur- surpassed the US. Yeah. But China is, is like a black box. It's it's very difficult to team up with them. And we've had all kinds of issues in the U.S. US um, I'm sure you've heard about some arrests and shadow labs and things like that. So there's yeah. a lot of caution uh, right now in the fold. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's a dilemma. You're, you're absolutely correct. The, the power when it comes to getting funding is in the hands of... Uh, certain countries and, and certain institutions, honestly. Yeah. Uh, talk yeah. about, um, you know, the usual suspects, as you put it, constantly getting the, you know, the biggest piece of the pie. Research pie is a zero-sum game, as you know. But if you look at the herd report, um, I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with it. It ranks all the research institutions in the U.S. 
when it comes to their uh, research funding. The top 10 um, have been there. They, they've been there for a while. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. But, but I, I do see the potential I should talk about. The moment you buy machine learning could, could paint a more complex picture, including other um, impact factors beyond the publications and could look at, yeah, societal impact and could add, then you can suddenly, and you have the possibility to add geographic, geographical parameters perhaps in, in your search as well. In that, in that moment, you could suddenly have the possibility of finding people in ways that I think you, you, you probably, um, probably never never could because no one person would be able to to juggle all of those parameters at at at, at once so i yeah no i i think that yeah it's probably not easy but if it could be done i think there is some, some tremendous value uh, in in all of those uh, those those uh, things if it doesn't become too cluttered yeah yeah um there's, of course, no f question that AI will take databases and and, and like we, I also almost say, grew up with when we started in uh, in research management. It was uh, a lot more simple databases that we looked for funding in. But AI will take databases and tools like FunFit to to a completely different uh, level from where we are in research support offices today. So, where do you see this going, and how do how do we balance the efficiency and possibilities as we have talked about with the ethics and protection for researchers with a minority background that we've also talked about because it's just going so it's just going so so fast and sometimes it feels like there's of course been a lot of chat about uh, uh, chat gpt uh, and particularly with the the new one and sometimes the people behind it even say yeah it does things and it's really really great we don't know how it learned to do that and that uh, can be a bit scary sometimes mm -hmm. absolutely so we want to address the problem a couple different ways mm -hmm. number one once we have all the researchers in the system that immediately implies that we're having all the HBCUs, the Hispanically oriented institutions, and and of course international researchers from all walks of life, and so the system automatically or automagically <laughs> will put together teams, yeah. right? Uh, so you have diversity uh, in the system, and now you're looking at backgrounds and and potential when it comes to uh, either through published sources or not not in some cases not necessarily published but uh, some indications that those researchers are uh, qualified for a given funding opportunity so it's yeah. it's going to happen by default yeah. however again i think there has to be some desire um that some of these uh, large research institutions, they want to team up with, you know, certain groups. Mm -hmm. So there's really no way around it. And I think it's, it's progress until we get to a point where everything is, you know, it's all a uh, level playing field. 
um, that they're going to have to say, you know, bring me some researchers from these particular institutions that are classified as, um, you know, Haku institutions or Hispanically oriented or HBCUs and, and whatever else is available to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to have to happen both ways. Again, number one, include pretty much everybody that immediately uh, eliminates um, the system, you know, to a certain degree, doesn't really know when, when the system looks at a researcher, if that person is of a certain uh, racial background or what have mm-hmm. you. Uh, but it's a combination of machine learning on all the researchers. So you have inclusion by default, mm-hmm. but also by choice. Uh, the system does allow you, and this was a, a, a request that we implemented right away. Um, they want to be able to say, I want to team up with these institutions here, and here's why. So at first we thought, is that a good idea? But uh, it was explained to us that uh, that's one of the things uh, that the system must have. So, uh, but we we have that feature. It'd be interesting just to, um, and you've sort of started to touch on it there in that answer actually, but one of the things that I was thinking about as we, we were chatting is, I guess, what, what would success, what does success look like? Like from perhaps from a, uh, a researcher's perspective, like if, if they were on the system, is is, rese- is success just about securing more research funding? Is it something slightly different? Is it have you got a sense in your head of what success might look like for a researcher on the on the who uses FunFit? Yeah, number one is funding. Without funding, mm-hmm. you know, you're dead. Yep. Uh, Dr. Lauer from NIH a few years ago did an amazing presentation at the uh, FTP meetings, Federal Demonstration Partnership meeting in D.C., and he had some slides that showed the seniority bias is very bad for the researchers because young and hungry researchers are dropping out. Mm -hmm. They're not getting funding. They tried to implement a point system. I don't know if you remember that, but it did not go through, meaning if you have so much research funding, you're not going to get any more. It didn't go anywhere. Mm. But so uh, number one is funding without a doubt. But uh, if we could have success stories where uh, I was visiting Texas A&M University and, and the uh, vice chancellor of research made a very interesting comment back then. He said, you know, FunFit could actually expose some of my researchers in rural areas that nobody knows yeah. you know, yeah. who they are, what they do. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. kind of like the diamonds in the rough, if you will. Yeah. If we have stories where uh, someone uh, out there in, a, uh, in an unlikely place received funding because of FunFit, one way or the other, um, that is huge, right? And, and collaborations yeah. where inclusion is happening in whatever in whatever form, mm-hmm. but the inclusion and diversity is happening, and FunFit is helping with that. I, I think that is huge. Mm. Yeah, and I also think it is. It would be quite interesting as 
with the move we see here in Europe uh, with the agreement on reform on research assessment, I think is the full name as it is right now, where they are talking about yeah. exactly to, to move to both assessing research and researchers on more than bibliometrics. They, they have realized we need a more complex picture. And how, how do you do you collect that in in one way or, or the other to have that um, complex assessment and also when you are putting a, a a team together moving forward how how will you how will you collect that and there's definitely yeah again something to be to be said for for machine learning and 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 a and a software for, for like a fun fit uh, apart from just the specific uh, funding opportunity. Right, right. So um, again, you know, there are, there are some uh, software products that are looking at different aspects mm. of uh, what's done and what's possible. So the anecdotal data in some cases is incredibly helpful mm. and it's, it's going to come in, in all kinds of different flavors. So you are right. It's it's a big challenge, but uh, it's it's getting um, better and better. It it is, and and uh, I was <laughs> I was really impressed when I when I saw it, uh, and again, I haven't looked at any of these things for for quite quite a while, and it was rather basic databases back back, uh, back then. But uh, yeah, as you say, there are some still a, a bit of way to go. But uh, looking at this, definitely some some very interesting potential. Uh, in, in this that could uh, really broaden out uh, research collaborations both internationally but also when it comes to to personal characteristics and uh, and other things so um, yeah we want to be respectful of your time uh, thank you so much for doing this uh, and uh, for for the demonstration and um, we'll uh, follow follow uh, the work uh, streamlines work uh, closely and uh, and then uh, once you will probably have you back in in a few years time and see how things have developed and uh, how what the what the machines have uh, have uh, learned about us uh, since then <laughs> it's my pleasure thank you for having me on and that was our conversation with Randy Lachlan, what was your takeaway points from uh, from this conversation? Well, I'm I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you, Jakob, but I um whenever whenever it comes to software solutions for things, I'm a bit of a skeptic. <laughs> I am a bit of a skeptic, yeah. um, so I'm sure that's not a huge surprise. But I was encouraged. Now, I think there are some challenges to to programs like FunFit, but I was encouraged by the conversation, and I guess. The main things I was encouraged about is the fact that Randy was very open up front to talk about, you know, that there are problems around equality, diversity, and inclusion yeah. within higher education. Um, he recognised that, his company recognises that, and that they want to try and find a, a solution for mm. that. And, and in this case, it's you know, particularly around research funding and making sure that, uh, you know, you're getting the best talent to to join your research team and to apply for research funding. So that was encouraging. I, I was encouraged by the, I guess, the breadth of thinking. You know, I, th I think they recognise that 
EDI and uh, inclusion is complicated. Yeah. Uh, that it's not as simple as uh, finding one magical metric no. that you can incorporate and that will solve all of your problems. I think. I think he. I think there's a recognition though that you know some of this stuff is actually pretty hard to measure yeah pretty hard to get under the skin of and there's sort of there's some proxy indicators i guess mm. which we probably talked a little bit about in 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 the chat i think where i still feel maybe a little bit nervous about it um is if i was a researcher uh and we've touched on it before haven't I, uganda and the mm. change in law in in, in uganda uh the for those who don't know, you know they're they're very stringent anti LGBTQ laws. They've just implemented potentially resulting in death penalties mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, if you're a researcher in that space and you want to register on a software platform like this, and then you might be a bit nervous about, well, do I disclose all of my personal characteristics and what my areas of expertise are? Exactly. So I guess there's still some hurdles to overcome. I don't I don't really know what the answers are. No. For that, off the top of my head, but it's positive, but and maybe it's a contribution. Maybe something like FunFit is actually a contribution towards helping to make the research funding landscape and research collaboration and internationalization more diverse and more inclusive. But we shouldn't rest on our laurels and think that this is going to be the solution for everything. No, exactly. And and yeah, and we didn't even touch about uh whatever when they want to ask in countries where you're not even allowed to ask and uh stuff like that as you said about yes. the gdpr laws in in europe it is of course a lot more complex and uh, than in in other parts of the world so yeah but but yeah as we talked about with him there are some potential and as as we said i think particularly when it comes to recognizing talent there is there are some some opportunities there and seeing who are the yeah how do we get beyond these usual suspects um when we are building a consortium uh consortium both internally within the institution but also when we want to work with uh, other institutions the possibility of highlighting uh, new potential collaborators that might be even more relevant than the ones you know all, already, and particularly as as machine learning can look at so many more parameters and factors than any of us can can do, yeah. and you don't have to do have a bibliometric analysis and then look at somewhere else and look up patterns. You can actually develop into one score and it's of course tricky when you don't know exactly the algorithm behind it what what's exactly behind the score but 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 still i I could as we talked about there are definitely some potential when it comes to age or um, Mm. particularly uh phd age perhaps not so much actual age and then of course who has funding who hasn't funding are there someone who are quite highly ranked and perhaps particularly women that we haven't thought of usually yeah. that might score higher but you have don't recognize them because they're not part of the usual gang of of white men going out for beers uh, at uh, conferences yeah and that's the flip side isn't it to what i was saying earlier about a, a researcher in mm. uganda who might be gay and, and risking out of like as you've mm. just said that there might be researchers out there who who join the system or their institution you know buys into the system and actually they get approached on the on the back mm. of it 
by a potential collaborator that they didn't mm. know, perhaps would never have come across, uh, and it can lead to, and it might lead to a great collaboration and, and research project. So, you know, there are, you know, there are potentially positives to come out of it. I think it'd be interesting to see how it evolves yeah. over the next few years and how many of those 8.4 million people who are on, active on mm. Orchid end up in in the system because it feels like critical mass is quite important, but with that critical mass also means there's a shed load of data in there about people yeah. and you want to make sure that that's as secure as possible and that the algorithms aren't uh, end up having their own biases. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's of course, as always there. And then as, as we just talked about when right after the the interview and we didn't get to, to, to cover that uh, uh, during the interviews that also... And uh, now I'm actually going to go there. You, you told me not to, but the uh, go the Spider-Man way and say with great with great machine learning comes great responsibility. And that goes to the universities that the moment you can do this, and particularly if you're at a global level, this is a, a, a whole new tool for systematic brain drain. Uh, not that it's not already happening, as, as, as you said when we talked before, but this could this there's a, some some really dire consequences there that that universities have to face just because we can identify these talents globally attracting them is perhaps not the best solution perhaps the best solution is actually to see how can we help them develop a research environment in their own country in instead and how yeah. universities will yeah. handle that responsibility um mm, Let's wait and see. Yes, I think the jury's out on that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that's a good. That's a, probably the right way to 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 frame it. But there are some potentials uh, potentials in in this, and some things that we couldn't do before. And as and as a software developer, he has, of course has to look at the as a as a potential. It's our role to be the grumpy old man who says, "What about this and what about that?" But but this is of yeah. course the way we it's it, it's it's going and. It is just how do we balance out the the potential with the with a responsible uh, way of doing it and with integrity to, towards particularly people with minority background that we want to give a a, a possibility, but we also want to keep them safe because it is an actual an actual uh, problem as we've discussed many times. Because this is, of course, developing incredibly fast. Uh, I mean, we're in April right now, and we, if you look back to December, nobody had heard about uh, ChatGPT, and now it's everywhere. So, so yeah, this is, uh, this is of course, developing incredibly fast, and, uh, and we'll try to, to keep up and also talk with, probably see if we can have conversations with other of these uh, software solutions in research management. Um and see how they they tackle some of these uh, problems. Definitely. All right. This episode was produced and edited by uh, uh, Arthur Deligne, as usual. Thank you, Arthur, for for saving us. And when it comes to to all of the technical aspects of this, if you want to follow us, please do so. Uh, we're at Twitter at DivresPod, D-I-V-R-E-S-P-O-D. You can follow and you can also contact us there if, uh, with suggestions for topics or uh, guests. Yes, and if you want to find out more about... Uh 
what we're up to, you can check out diverseunity.com where you can find out about the different types of uh, support and advice and work that we do with research institutions uh, across Europe and everywhere else. And of course, uh, if you're not already uh, subscribing uh, to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, please do give us a rating, five stars, just a little easier, isn't it? <laughs> and then uh, recommend the recommend the podcast to uh, colleagues and uh, collaborators, friends, parents, whoever you know who might think uh, it's relevant. We do heavily rely on on these uh, recommendations and uh, subscriptions, etc., etc. Et so help us uh, grow the audience for for all the people who want to know more about uh, diversity and internationalization in research and research management. Brilliant. Uh, and we'll catch you all in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. See you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye.